If you could be the character from any book, novel, poem, kids book, etc. I think, we, like I've been saying lately, someone has recently mentioned Neo from the Matrix, so it doesn't Ooh. have to be limited to books. Mm-hmm. What character would you be and why? So this is a super hard question. I was very torn, but I think I settled on something that actually felt really right to me, and it is Pippi Longstocking. I think because, and this held true when I was a child, and it and it still holds true to me now, I envied her physical strength and her incredible self-confidence and willing to just do what felt right for her and be who she was without apology, and also her kindness and her willingness to stand up for others and then as a sidetrack like most probably Canadian girls at some point I always wanted red hair so yeah and and actually even books that I enjoy now a kick-ass heroine I don't know if I'm allowed to say that but I will is always something that that I think I enjoy and I think that's partly you know although we've come a long way it is still not always easy to be a woman you don't always feel safe in every situation and in your skin. And so the idea of being so powerful that you can defeat anything and anyone and, and don't have to have any fear and is an amazing, I think, idea. I love that too. It's fun. It's funny the red, someone recently turned this question on me, which uh, (laughs) I've never answered until recently. And the two characters I mentioned also red haired characters were mad, Madeline, Yes, of course, Anne of Green Gables. So I don't know what it is about those. And there are so like those two characters, too, are like super confident, Mm -hmm. adventurous girls. And so there's something about those redheaded, feisty characters. (laughs) I I wonder if it is a Canadian thing, because I feel like there is some Anne in our DNA. Yeah, for sure. So. What are you reading these days? I, you're, I'm sure you're not reading Pippi Longstocking. Maybe you are. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mind reading some children's books occasionally. But um, one of the things that was interesting for me that I've struggled a lot with during the pandemic actually has been that I have always been a voracious reader who normally had a lot of books on the go. And I feel like the pandemic has kind of taken that from me a bit. I really have struggled to get into books the way I normally would. And I'm somebody who, you know, would read several books in a week normally, but I'm starting to get back into reading. So either I've adjusted or things are getting better. I'm not sure which is which. Uh, So I actually currently am reading two books. One is called A Country Escape by Katie Ford. It's a British novel uh, about a woman who goes to live on her great aunt's farm in the Cotswolds. And if she can make a success of it, then she gets to inherit it and live there. And it's fun and escapist and there's a lot of cheese making so it's just very enjoyable and then I'm also reading the world according to dogs an owner's manual by Adrian Rayside which is a BC book uh, from Harbor Publishing and uh, a friend lent it to me actually just recently I have a dog and I'm uh, that's definitely a defining characteristic of my life so it's a a tongue-in-cheek book it's part comic part informational book Part fart jokes, um, <laughs> right? Like, and it's it's obviously written by someone who has a a deep understanding of and love for dogs, and has lived with at least one, if not many, dogs. 
Your dog must know we're talking dogs because I can see little ears moving behind you. <laughs> yeah, he uh, well, he just moves from couch to couch okay. during during the during the, part, the the course of the day. Exactly. So yeah, this book is very much about that. It's sort of how to give a dog a good life from a dog's perspective, and it's quite funny. So it's interesting you talking about uh, the losing the kind of not the ability to read, but of course the kind of like interest or joy of reading through the pandemic. Cause it seems like things kind of fell into lines where people couldn't read or people just like, f just got lost in reading. Like it was like, I just have to do something other than watch Twitter and press conferences. Yes. I'm going to read. And it's interesting that that kind of happened. Yeah. And for me, maybe it's because I was always such a reader that that was something that was my normal and and comfortable and where I spent sort of a lot of my my life in some ways and so I think maybe that disruption just made it really hard to kind of settle into that comfortable space but I'm really enjoying actually re restarting reading because it does feel a bit like coming home and, and it is like a nice space for me to yeah. be in so in normal times, and maybe as you're starting to get into to reading again, how do you put together a to read list? Or is it on mood? Or do you kind of have a, a list in your head? So a few things I definitely do read by mood, which is usually why I have like two books is not a lot for me, I'll often have four or five books going and I'll have, you know, some nonfiction and some heavier fiction and some lighter fiction and, um, and I'll, I'll pick up sort of depending on what I'm feeling like, I never travel with less than probably six books, even before there were eBooks. But for me, there are certain authors that I like and I follow them on social media. So I watch for their books being released and people that they recommend. But honestly, and this sounds so cliche, I find a lot of books browsing the online catalog from my local library. For the last 15 years, basically, I was head of collections of technical services. So my staff were the ones who selected the books for Greater Victoria Public Library. And so they do an amazing job. And so I often will hop on and look at what's new, or I'll just do like a, a keyword search, or I'll find a book that I normally love and sort of chase through the subject headings till I find something. I think that the world of books being published can be overwhelming sometimes. And so having an avenue in is something that uh, even somebody like me who, you know, has picked books for large library systems and has lived in this world forever still finds comforting. Yeah. So how did your journey as a reader start? What kind of books were you first drawn to? So I grew up in a house filled with books. My mom taught me to read when I was about four years old. Apparently I was really interested in reading. I really, really wanted to learn. And I remember learning to read. I read a little bit of everything. I remember really loving the sort of rhyme and rhythm of Dr. Seuss and P.D. Eastman. When I got older, I fell in love with Anne of Green Gables, a little older than that. And I actually became a really big fan of P.G. Woodhouse, who my mom read. And, and maybe that is why I still read British literature even now. We had a, a big wall of bookshelves in the hallway of our house. And the rule was that you could read whatever you could reach. And so I learned to climb, <laughs> but uh, I was always interested in whatever was beyond my reach. But I think it, it worked well. Nothing was off limits. It was just about if you could reach it. Um, so I, I always loved reading. 
I remember reading in the library. I remember doing summer reading club when I was young. That was, um, I, I loved reading and I loved school. And so for me, summer reading club was something that I felt really magic that I got to go to the library and get rewarded for reading and talk to somebody besides my mom and my friends about my reading. So yeah, I think really the answer is like I've devoured books ever since I can remember. I I love that you remember doing summer reading club. That is and that segues perfectly into me asking how you how did you get involved in working in libraries? Was that something you always wanted to do or how did that happen? It wasn't actually. It's funny. I just did an undergrad degree. I went to university. I was really the first person in my family to, to go to university. And I did an undergraduate degree in classics. So ancient Greece, ancient Rome, just because I fell in love with it. And I took some great classes. And then I finished that and realized I did not want to be a professor. So I needed to figure out what I was going to do with my life and for a career. And the idea of libraries just kind of came up. I knew somebody else who was looking into libraries. I knew someone who had just gone to library school. I discovered that you could go to school, get a master's and become a librarian. And that seemed like a great idea to me because libraries had always been kind of magic in my, in my experience, in my life and in my mind. So I applied to library school and I got in and the rest was history. It was kind of amazing to me, the idea that I could do that. And, and I had definitely had many sort of wonderful memories and experiences to do with the library. So that seemed like something that I wanted to be a part of. It seems like libraries have that, uh, you know, they have a very like magical quality in people's lives. And there's so many stories of, of the important ways that libraries have shaped who we are as kids, who we become as adults. I, I'll always remember hearing um, Richard Wagamese talk about mm. the role that libraries played in his life. I think that was with Sheila Rogers on the next yeah. chapter. But yeah, it's just, I think sometimes libraries have always been there, but we forget about the magic sometimes that what it means to have a library, because we, I think maybe we haven't fought for them in a Mm -hmm. while in BC. And so we often take them for granted. That's true. I, uh, I spent at one point when I first became a librarian, I worked in Richmond public library. And um, so often I had many community members who had just come from other countries and particularly China and the, the library model there is very different. And so it was always really interesting to hear their thoughts and their impressions of having this freedom to just go in and pick whatever you wanted and take it home. It it was always, it kind of helped bring that magic back for those of us who'd been experiencing it our whole lives. Yeah. So you are the uh, executive director of the BC Library Association. Can you talk a little bit about the work that you do and what the association is? Mm -hmm. So the association is really the provincial professional association for libraries and library workers, which sounds very dry and boring. But I've been in the role for seven months and it is not dry and boring. It's very fun and very exciting. Essentially, I get to advocate for libraries and library workers, help them connect with each other and provide them with opportunities for professional development. So right now, uh, we're both planning the BC Library Conference, which is something totally new for me, which I love because I love 
doing new things and, and learning new things. And also doing a lot of the work in preparation for the 2022 BC Summer Reading Club, which is also fun to actually get to um, help create and administer the program that I did when I was a little kid. I was excited to take this role just because I do love libraries. And it seemed like a really great way to get to support and enhance libraries across our province. And I also really love getting to do the very specific work, like planning really specific things, or even honestly doing things like accounting and books is fun. But then also getting to do really big strategic things like talk to the provincial government about how libraries are funded and the important work that libraries are doing. Yeah. I wanted to I want to talk a little bit about libraries and the work that libraries do, because like I was saying, we do have that kind of romantic idea um, and also a, possibly a very dated idea of what <laughs> libraries do in our communities. But in the time that you've been in libraries, how have you seen the work uh, change and and where do you see it going too? Mm-hmm. So I've been a librarian for over 20 years, which shocks me to say. Um, I've almost been a librarian longer than I wasn't at this point in my life. So I think, yes, even when I became a librarian 20 years ago, there was a lot of those outdated perceptions. I think the biggest one is that whole idea that libraries should be silent. The idea that librarians will shush you, the idea that it should be a really quiet place. And to me, the sign of a good library is that it's not silent. In fact, it's often noisy because people are excited to be there. People are there. People are talking to each other. There's programs going on. There's kids running around because they're grabbing a book and they want to show it to their parent. Like a library should be lively and full of life, not dusty and quiet. And, and that can be different if you're in, you know, a research library, but even in a university library, it should be bustling. There should be people moving around, talking to each other and engaging. Um, the books and aren't exciting in and of themselves. The magic is when you read them. The magic is when you interact with them. So I think that's the big one is that there is still that perception from people that a library is a sort of a quiet storehouse for things. Um, And I think the other thing is that idea and that perception of libraries and library workers as gatekeepers. When really what they should be and what most of them are is connectors. And I think libraries have gotten better at conveying that and doing things like creating more inclusive spaces, reducing and eliminating fines, offering new and interesting programs and collections to let people know that the library isn't just one thing. It's not just for one group and it's not static. It's not stuffy. Yeah, it seems like libraries have shifted from being the holders of books, so to speak, <laughs> to uh, to like community hubs almost uh, in a space. And and I think that shift has been really interesting to watch. Like I worked in the library here in Powell River, so I saw it from that side. But I also, of course, have seen it as a library user through my whole life. And just seeing how we use that space has shifted so much in my lifetime. For sure. Well, and Powell River has done some very cool stuff when they did their new building and, you know, I think a good sort of integrated community hub. They're a great example. And it's true, you know, libraries have books. And I always say that we should never throw that away because a lot of people want books. And that is a, books are special. Books are magic. It's, you know, people love them. Um, but libraries have a lot of other things too. 
Uh, so they have ebooks, downloadable audiobooks, video games, lots of online resources. Um, and, and then I think libraries have expanded, as we all have, the idea of what learning is and the different ways to learn and to connect with the world around you and recognizing the validity of that variety. So they're engaging with different kinds of literacy and they're lending different collections. Libraries are lending birding kits, climate action kits, pedometers, snowshoes, musical instruments, cake pans, tools, you name it. They're also doing programs around things like coding and STEM. Um, some libraries are starting to change their physical spaces and offer maker spaces, industrial kitchens, gardens. So I think you're right. Libraries are really expanding, really in reaction to the needs and the wants of their communities and the different and sort of expanding opportunities for how people can engage with their community, with the world around them. Libraries have also gotten more into supporting people in creating content, not just consuming it, which I think is really exciting. And technology has offered a lot of options. You know, a hundred years ago, you didn't have the opportunity to offer all of the things that we can offer now. And I think it's, it, libraries are also really about leveling the playing field and a lot about equity. And so some of the things that libraries do, you might think, oh, well, people can afford their own snowshoes but not everybody can. So part of what libraries do is create a space where everybody can experience the magic and everyone gets to try it out. And and trying to, we can't possibly level the playing field the way we would, I think most of us would love the playing field to be totally level, but we can, we can make it better. We can make it more equal. And I think that gives everybody a leg up and we all end up better and stronger communities, which ultimately I think one of the goals of the public library in particular is to always leave the community stronger. I wanted to ask you, you mentioned about literacies, and that was something that I, I noticed a lot um, when I was working in the library was how our understanding of literacy has changed, like from the way we talk about it in school, which is, of course, book-based literacy to digital literacy and even um you know, just within a community like cultural liter literacies as well. And I wondered if you could talk about the way that libraries are involved in those many, and I'm sure there are many more that I didn't even <laughs> mention, uh, all those kinds of literacies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like things like numeracy as well. And you're right, cultural literacy is a big one. Um, yeah, so different libraries are doing different things, of course. One of the interesting things is that libraries, I think, uh, again, respond to the needs of their unique community. So you'll see that in programming, uh, in collections. I think some of the, like food literacy is such an interesting one that's very new, where you literally see new libraries that are building these kitchens so that they can start teaching people about healthy eating and, and cooking. Because, you know, not everyone gets taught how to make food for themselves. So I think it's really expanding beyond the sort of reading, writing, arithmetic that was in vogue 20, 30 years ago and starting to think about whole people and what are all the things that you need to learn. And one of the interesting things libraries are doing too is they both bring in um, things like poet laureates, and but they're also starting to look at, like when you talk about cultural literacy, they'll bring in story storytellers. So some libraries are bringing in Indigenous storytellers now for a year to help 
build the cultural understanding and literacy of their community. So I think there's lots of sort of unique approaches, and they don't always also have to be library staff. I think library people are really great at connecting, like I said, and so often that's looking into the community and seeing who there has something great to offer and how can you help them shine in the community and share that. Yeah. Yeah. One of our, um, the Lieutenant Governor's Award of Literary Excellence recipient this year, Joseph Dandren, was mm. the Indigenous uh, storyteller in residence at the Vancouver Public Library. Nice. So I, yeah. I know he had such wonderful things to say about that experience. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. I wanted to ask you a little bit about um, what the role of libraries is in promoting BC and Yukon books and how you talked about being connectors. How do libraries connect people with those titles in particular? Mm -hmm. So I think it's funny because one of the things that I think libraries can do quite well and do is helping people find books beyond the bestseller. So everybody in the world, whether you read it or not, knows if there's a new John Grisham coming out because you can't escape it. And that's well and good. And libraries need to provide that material absolutely because people want it. And that's part of the role. But one of the interesting things libraries do is also help people find the books that they may not have heard of initially. And book prizes are a great support for libraries in doing that. Because one of the great ways that I used to call it passive readers advisory, meaning I didn't have to talk to you to do it where you do displays. Libraries have really gotten into doing displays like bookstores used to do, although there's less and less bookstores. So the uh, the impact of library displays is greater and greater. So having a theme or a hook is always great. So prizes like the, like the prizes um, that you guys do are great because they allow you to sort of bring everything together around a time and a space and really promote them in a cohesive way to folks. I also th think I definitely found that People are interested in reading books written where they are. There's something about that that's exciting. There's something about people creating in your area, in your community, that it could be your next door neighbor. Um, it could be you that is, is really exciting and I think inspiring to many of us who, you know, are doing sort of average jobs, even though my job is pretty great and I love it. I'm not creating art. And, and so there's something something amazing about a book that you think this was written, this was created somewhere that I could drive to today. That's really, really exciting. And so I think that's the kind of, um, that's the kind of connection that, that library people can help to make is they create those displays. They create those lists. They buy the books, which is also really important. Let's face it. If nobody's buying the books, they won't get published. So I think also, we know studies have shown that people who use libraries and borrow books from libraries also buy more books because libraries introduce people to new titles, new authors. And I think that's really important. If we want to have a vibrant and thriving local, provincial, territorial literacy ecosystem, then we need to make sure those books are getting read. And I think library people also are, are, passionate about quality and about sort of the surprise and the sleeper hits. Those are the ones that we love telling you about. We'll show you where the bestseller is, but the one we love telling you about is the one you've never heard about before and getting to see your eyes light up and maybe having you come back later and tell us how much you loved it. Yeah. 
So you mentioned that you're reading a book by Harbor Publishing, and I wondered what excites you about books being written and published in BC and the Yukon. Hmm. I think it's seeing my world reflected back. So it, it's like the literary equivalent of you're watching a movie or a TV show and you recognize a building or you recognize a street and it affirms you. It feels like that that's me in some way right there. Um, and I was born and raised in BC and it wasn't until I had a contract job in 2019 where I worked a lot remotely, but also went out there quite a bit with people in Ontario. And I was coordinating with people in governments in provinces and territories across Canada. And then I really realized that we are unique here on the Western edge of Canada. Um, I always knew we were, but I didn't really understand it. And, and then I did. And so I think it made me realize we really have our own perspective and our flavor and it's not always captured in works created elsewhere, even within Canada. And in, in libraries, we talk a lot about windows and mirrors. So it's a concept introduced by Emily Style in relation to the need for divor- diverse voices in children's books. But I think it really relates beyond that to all ages. So it's the idea that you need both windows to see into other worlds and mirrors to see yourself reflected. And I think that books published in BC and the Yukon do that for those of us here. They are our mirrors, and they also provide the windows to people in other parts of Canada and in other parts of the world. And I think it just, the world is richer when there is a a greater diversity of voices and perspectives. And I think that, that on this Western edge of Canada, we have something to contribute to that. That was Raina Hadziev. Raina is the executive director of the BC Library Association. If you want to find out more about the BC and Yukon Book Prizes, visit our website, bcyukonbookprizes.com. You can also find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, where we share news about the winners and finalists, as well as information about upcoming events. Over the next two weeks, we'll be sharing recordings from a couple of our storied events, Next week, you'll hear Bryony Penn and David McElwraith discuss creative collaborations with Carol Shaven. Thanks for listening to Writing the Coast. <laughs>